listening to Everyday Engineering, the City of Madison's engineering podcast where we talk about infrastructure. Complex topics explained simply. From the water that flows down your drain to the rain and snow that drains into the lakes. By way, the curbs and streets we design. City engineering touches your life in so many ways. Explained right now in Everyday Engineering. Life's Blueprint, an episode focusing on the career journey of one of our staff members to share more about them, how they got here, and hopefully some information on how to move into a career in this industry. My name is Hannah Molinitsky, City of Madison Engineering Division Public Information Officer. I lead communications for our division and get to know all of our staff section and managers in about seven to eight main sections of the entire division which is where the idea for this segment came from. So many stories, we want to share them and hopefully help you decide on what path you wanna take. There are so many paths in the engineering division and today we are hosting someone you have heard from before on Everyday Engineering, a familiar voice on all things Stormwater. We have Jojo O'Brien. Thank you so much for coming and, and, and being a part of this new segment, Jojo. Of course, thanks for having me. I'm excited to hear your journey a, a little bit more. I mean, I feel like I know JoJo, but you know, we're gonna get to know JoJo a little bit more. And I think that your story will will definitely help anybody um, trying to decide. So before we start, though, JoJo, your official title is an engineer in our stormwater section of our engineering division of the city of Madison. So can you just briefly break down what you do exactly? If anybody hasn't ever heard from you before on any of our other episodes. Yeah, of course. Um, I am, as you said, a stormwater engineer. Mm-hmm. I manage a lot of the flood studies that we do and a lot of that spurred out of the 2018 flooding that we had. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, I was really focused on pond, greenway, and shoreline design, which are our like standalone stormwater features. So those are things where if you think about where we have stormwater impacting natural areas of the city mm-hmm. or part of our stormwater system that's not just pipes and concrete. Um, That's kind of the specialized design that I was doing. Okay. And then on top of that, doing some planning for um, what actually was the 2018 flooding with High Lake Water emergency planning and trying to figure out how the city would react to that. And we have an episode all dedicated. We've got a few episodes dedicated to that. So um, check that out. And that is a nice explanation in a nutshell, Jojo, because there is a lot of parts. (laughs) A few moving pieces there. Yes. Okay, so where do we start? So did you always know that you wanted to be a, a, an engineer that focuses in stormwater? Where did this start? Where did you grow up? Did the idea come from when you, who, like, where did this start? Yeah, um, when I was younger in high school, I really liked math and science. Mm-hmm. So it seemed like an easy plug into the engineering school. And then in the engineering school, I didn't, at UW, I didn't really feel like I fit into the traditional civil engineer group um, and I was interested in something that was a little bit different. So at the time I was pretty interested in global health and environmental studies and climate change. So I double majored in environmental studies and had a global health certificate, which is essentially a minor. Okay. Um, But felt like I maybe wanted to work on clean water in developing countries or something that had a little bit more of an impact than just the nuts and bolts of an engineering design project. And is that something that people often think about typically when they think of engineering? Like I think when they're like, ah, I wanna be an engineer, that must be 
building streets or building something like what what is it yeah a lot of my classes were really focused on like bridges and trusses and sure. concrete and things like that and i as i said was kind of feeling like there was this weird juxtaposition with like how do i take these other things that i'm interested in and merge that together so i ended up actually switching into an engineering program that's outside of the engineering school which is in the college of agriculture and life sciences okay and it was focused on biological systems engineering so you have a lot of like food processing engineering, mechanical, like farm-related ag engineering, and then there was this whole portion that was natural resource engineering, and that was doing more watershed studies, doing design for more like agriculture farm drainage areas, but had a little bit more of applicable skill sets to a more rural setting. Okay, pause for a moment here. There's yeah. a lot to unpack there. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, where did you grow up? I grew up just outside Milwaukee in Wauwatosa. Okay. So was Wisconsin. Yeah. Okay. And did you always have a fascination with what you do now? Um, like, did you ever notice that you it was something, or was it just kind of something that evolved over time? I would say it evolved over time. When I was little, I, like, spent all my time playing in little creeks and, like, catching crayfish. And <laughs> my mom, weirdly, um, had horses. And I enjoyed horses, but I more enjoyed like playing in the creek and creating little <laughs> dams and catching crayfish and sure all that stuff. So outdoorsy. I think looking back, I could see it. Yeah, yeah, definitely outdoorsy. Spent a lot of time in nature, um, but I did not know that I wanted to be a water resource engineer. I got involved in Engineers Without Borders in college, mm -hmm. and that was kind of fascinating and taking more of a human problem and coming up with an engineering solution, but then having to on the back side of it, explain to people why it's important and have something that felt a little bit more human than just like a bridge or a road mm -hmm. was something that was really connecting with me. Okay. So I'm slowly walking through this so that people can follow along. So you um, grew up in Wisconsin, you were in high school and were you involved in anything in high school that may have, no, not really. I mean, you're just the typical. normal stuff. Okay. Some sports, some. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay, and then you went into college at UW mm -hmm. in the engineering, and then you, you decided to switch it up. Um, okay, so your major first was what? I was a civil engineering undergraduate student, and I switched to be a biological systems engineering undergraduate student. Okay, and then what? And then I decided, just in order to keep things more exciting, <laughs> I added the environmental studies double major. Okay. Um, I studied abroad in Vienna mm -hmm. and met a bunch of people that did environmental engineering-esque roles all over Europe. It was a very, like, European exchange program. Um, How so did you find that? And, and why would you want to do that? Why wouldn't you want to do that? That's the real question. But why, why did you want to do that? And how'd you find it? I needed a program that um, I could take engineering or science-related classes in English and <laughs> not did. Spanish. Sure. Um, so that was limiting. I could speak Spanish, but it did not feel like I could speak Spanish well enough to thrive and get credit. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a program in Vienna that they were actually on the verge of closing because there wasn't great communication and it was a lot of logistics and hurdles to coordinate. Um, but I got to take a bunch of master's levels of classes at a school in Vienna with a bunch of a bunch of other um, students from all over the European Union. And so. what did you learn there? I mean, what? A lot of different stuff. Yeah. Um, so mm -hmm. some of it was a little bit more focused on development and clean water in developing countries, um, a lot of work 
in tropical regions. There was a lot of like climatology classes, climate change classes. It kind of fulfilled a lot of my environmental studies mm-hmm. double major requirements, which worked out really well. So that was study abroad? Correct. Okay. Yep. And then um, did you did you notice a different way of thinking? I mean, when you're in different cultures and different spaces in different countries, there's same topics, but different different views. Definitely. And that was something that I thought was really interesting to kind of piece through and just working through some of those problems and issues and the projects that we were doing with our classes with a diverse group of students was really fascinating. Um, And I found that that carried through in something that I was really interested in when I was doing projects with Engineers Without Borders while I was in college. Sure. Um, And the technical aspects of some of those projects we're still kind of getting ironed out, um, but meeting with people on the ground and trying to figure out what their needs were and having kind of the humbling experience for someone that's studying to be an engineer and you think you're coming in with an engineering solution and realizing that there's a lot of like social, emotional competence that you need to have and then groundwork that you need to be laying to show that you're listening to people and actually getting them what they want as opposed to like what you think your engineering textbooks tell you that they should need. Which is Um, totally a different way of thinking. Totally. So that was fascinating, and I really enjoyed that challenge and how that was really shaping how I thought about how people with technical backgrounds solve some of these solutions um, or solve some of these problems and come up with solutions that will help improve people's lives. And that was what I was really enjoying doing. So that program, you said uh, Engineering Without Borders? Yep, Engineers Without Borders. Engineers Without Borders. Um, and that was a program you took part in while you were in college? Correct. So, uh, you know, what is, that was separate from Vienna? Correct. Okay. Yep. So I'm trying to keep sure that I'm following all of this and keeping it keeping it straight here. I um, Okay, so then that program, where were you for that program? Where were you studying and what were you doing in that program? I focused on a project that was in Kenya. Okay. Um, Were you in Kenya? So I went to Kenya two different times. Okay. And again, that's kind of, it it wasn't really a technical program at that point. Um, It was a lot of student engineers being humbled by, oh, this area needs an irrigation system. Here, it's really easy to design on paper, but how do you actually go through the process of like, Who's going to benefit from this program? Do people actually need this? What does this look like? How do they invest into it so that it is maintainable? How do you think through long-term maintenance and equity? And what does it actually mean to be a student group coming in with like mm-hmm. this infrastructure improvement? And what does that mean for people? Um, that was a lot of what we were piecing through. So I was there for, I think, three weeks at a time, two different times. What was it like there? Um, it was different than anywhere I'd ever been. Um, my sister had studied abroad in South America, and I had visited her, visited her there, um, but I had never been anywhere in Africa, mm-hmm. and yeah, the way of life was just very different. There you know, was one paved road. Yeah, paint the picture for us. What was it like, <laughs> the culture, the, the experience there? Um, that's a big question. <laughs> there, the area that we worked in was outside of a city, Kisumu. Okay. And it was a village. Mm -hmm. So there was a paved road where you would jump in a van, like their taxis essentially were vans that one person would be driving. They'd keep the side door open of these like 70s, 80s vans and be shouting like, just come get in, come get in. And you would jump in the car and be squeezed in with a bunch of people and chickens and you'd get dropped off in the town. 
or on the side of the town and then everywhere within the town was um there were some dirt roads but it was mostly just paths and you know huts with different types of roofs often aluminum roofs um, and people that were collecting rainwater and rain barrels people that were gathering rainwater from ditches and rivers nearby um, that was something else that we were trying to focus on was providing water filter systems mm -hmm. and figuring out how we could create a business for people within that village to build and sell like subsidized water filters mm -hmm. um so yeah, it was a much like slower way of life. I think we thought we would come in and, you know, we had the solution and it was great. Um, but really slowing down and listening to people and figuring out what they needed and what they wanted. Um, what did they say? What did they need and what did they want? Well, nothing was ever as easy as you would think it was going to be. So people did not feel as though they were being well consulted about, you know, who would benefit from the irrigation project. Um, when we got there, you know, this is a student program, so we think everything's going to go really smoothly and we don't have anyone on the ground for much of the year. And like one of the problems one time that we went was that we couldn't even find the farmers that we were trying to work with. Mm -hmm. And then everything flooded and trying to get through floodwaters and move through the towns like people couldn't actually get to the meeting spaces that we had set up because huge ditches had flooded and people didn't feel comfortable crossing them and... There were also issues with people not feeling comfortable digging trenches or working on the project because of the risk of getting something called um, schisto, mm -hmm. which is like a waterborne disease that people can get. So mm -hmm. just, it was a very eye-opening process and piecing through all these things that you don't think about as someone that lives in Wisconsin and mm -hmm. lives, have, have our lives set up how we have our lives set up. You know, um, yes. I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. If no. you had a, you wanted to finish your thought, I, I just think the plan doesn't really matter, no, unless you can work with people and listen and engage and and understand what they need. Then maybe you can get to your plan. Yeah. But the plan doesn't even matter if you can't understand some of the things that you had just mentioned. You know, worried about you know crossing you know water for all the reasons that you just explained. And you know, I, I think. That's there's some yes, it makes it broadens your mind, it opens your eyes, it opens challenges you to think outside of the textbook. Yeah. And that was kind of what led me to what I ended up doing after college. Um I felt like being on the ground for three weeks at a time wasn't a sustainable way to help anyone. Um sure. Right. You wanna be there. You wanna like see something through. You don't wanna just like come and go and give your right your And you right. can't do anything effectively right. with that framework. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Engineers Without Borders is a great way and other projects I think are a little better set up that it doesn't quite work that way. But the sure. one that I was on, um, that is how that functioned. And I felt like I wanted to try something that was a little bit different. Okay. So I had um, submitted an application to work for the Peace Corps. Mm -hmm. And that was when the government shut down for one of the first times for like a month. Mm -hmm. And everything was on hold and I was getting close to graduating. And I had a good family friend that um, pointed me towards a nonprofit based out of Santa Ana called Concern America. And they've worked with refugees in a few different countries around the world um, for over 40 years. And they had position openings in Colombia and they primarily train health promoters to provide basic health care services in areas where there are a lot of refugees and in areas where there isn't, you know, good health care infrastructure. Mm -hmm. 
And along with that, they often do like an engineering or clean water sanitation program. So I was hired with them to be a project manager and kind of manage the logistical financial aspects of their healthcare training program for the health promoters. And at the same time, set up like a clean water and sanitation, theoretically engineering project. Mm -hmm. um, and that was out of? I was living in Colombia in a town called Rio Sucio, okay. um, which actually directly translates to Dirty River. Okay. Um, and that's the river itself at this point is dirty. Um, it's in the lower Atrato River, which is just south of the Columbia-Panama border, so near the like Darien Gap region. And you can Google that. You can Google that. Um, <laughs> it is, yes. But so we lived on this river tributary system in a town that was a much you know, bigger town than anything else in the area. There were villages kind of surrounding that we worked with. And I lived on a house on stilts over a swamp. Um, How was that? It was beautiful and fascinating and eye-opening and hard. Yes. All, all of the things. Um, yeah. What made it hard? Other than it seems hard, but it also would be cool. Beautiful. Uh, from, um, it was right. pretty isolating. Um, mm -hmm. At that point, we didn't have like yeah. smartphones for the people working in the field. So sure. it was like could sometimes get some semi-good internet before like 7 a.m. Mm -hmm. before the like cell phone networks were um, reaching their bandwidth. Sure. So I didn't, I wasn't really able to communicate with family and it was really hard to get in and out. So um, it was either like supposed to be a three to four hour boat ride to the next biggest town, but the boats would often run out of gas and you'd end up just like floating in the river. Or you could take a Jeep to a different town which theoretically was also supposed to be three to four hours. Yeah. And then the Jeeps, the roads would wash out really badly in the rains. Mm -hmm. So you'd get stuck in the mud and you'd have like all of these different Jeeps and trucks and vehicles like stuck in huge bogs of swampy washed out road. And then would have to wait for someone to get pulled out or you'd have to get out and push and mm -hmm. this whole thing. Um, Scary. Yeah. At times, I, I feel like... Well, we're also in the middle of a conflict zone. So Colombia has been in the middle of a right. civil war for many years. Um, and this was before they had reached their peace agreement. Mm -hmm. So the paramilitary and FARC were still kind of active. So we were just kind of navigating some of the issues of living in an area yeah. of active conflict. Sure. Um, so there were things that you kind of had to train yourself to think about that you wouldn't have thought of if you were in Wisconsin or in Madison, you know, like mm -hmm. I wasn't supposed to be taking pictures while we were traveling on the rivers because, you know, the groups could be looking onto the river and seeing people taking pictures and thinking that they were spying. There were military checkpoints and people around with big guns everywhere. And mm -hmm. yeah, just a lot of things. There were a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, the project that we were working on, though, was really impactful and really great to help kind of move forward. Um, we were training a new group of health promoters that were providing healthcare to these really remote areas where, you know, people were bit by a snake, say, in their village. And in order to get all the way back to even where we were, which did not have great healthcare options, mm -hmm. you'd have to take, you know, the boat or the Jeep and hope you didn't get stuck or run out of gas. And then even to like an actual, what we would think of as like a hospital was another eight hour bus ride to like a big 
subsidy. Wow. Um, and people would end up in large rain events. Again, my life revolves around rain events. Um, these rivers would clog up with just little dams and their boats couldn't get through. Mm -hmm. So people would think that they would have like a six hour boat ride and these little like wooden carved boats to get to where we were if someone got bit by a snake and they needed anti-venom. But all of a sudden there'd be a river dam in the way that they weren't expecting and they'd have to spend 12 hours with people with chainsaws trying to clear out these river dams to get their boats through. So you're seeing storm water in its complete natural form and the impacts it can have socially, yeah. emotionally, and really every every full way. And that is why people were on, their houses were on stilts mm -hmm. in these larger towns. Because mm -hmm. during high flood years, the water would come up and there's really nothing you could do. So people would jack up their house on stilts and hope that their house was high enough. And when it wasn't, they would just start building additional floor on top of the existing floor. So they would say, okay, well, the water's coming up and it's a foot deep in my house. I'm just gonna build a floor above the floor. So people joke about how during big flood years, people would come out of their homes and they'd all be hunched over because they're used to you know, losing four feet of their house space. Mm -hmm. And they would come out onto like the bridges, like little, you know, one by eights that would connect their house to like the main little wow. walkway and people would all be hunched over because they're used to like mm -hmm. having their house and their ceiling be so close or their floor and their ceiling be so close together wow but people really took action on their own to figure out how to adjust and mitigate and live in or adapt to high water mm -hmm. and that's part of what i thought was really interesting in coming to work for the city of madison was being a part of a community where the municipality could do something to try to help people as opposed mm -hmm. to it being everyone for themselves figure out what works for you. You could be a part of a planning and like on the front end, what are we able to do to help people at a larger scale? So you went from there to the city from there? More or less, yeah. More or less, or did you? Did you have somebody, or did you work for anyone in between I there? did not work for anyone in between. Okay, that's yep. what I'm, okay. So, okay, so then, Obviously, we've gone all the way around the world in this interview in 20 minutes, and pretty eye-opening. We're pulling apart, you know, obviously different layers of the of of your approach to your work and where you've been. How did it change you? I think a lot of what I learned in my unconventional jobs prior to being an engineer for the city. Um, is that you aren't always the expert and part of becoming and doing a good job at finding engineering solutions, especially to some of these more social focused problems, is both being able to listen and also explain what you're doing and why. Mm -hmm. And I found that when I was thinking about what I enjoyed about my the random types of work that I did throughout college and in Columbia as I really enjoyed that piece of it is talking to people, listening what they need, trying to explain things in ways that take some of 
the like technical background that I have and see if I can apply it and explain it and kind of get everyone to be on the same page. I'm learning a little bit from them. They're learning a little bit from me. Mm -hmm. Hopefully we can move forward to improve the situation of whatever we're trying to address. Because the plan doesn't matter if you can't communicate and understand and listen. Exactly. Right. Oh, Jojo, anything else you want to add? Any advice? Anything anyone specifically told you along the way that you were like, ah, thank goodness for that. It could be your mom. It could be a family member. It could yeah. be anybody, anyone, anyone. <laughs> um, I remember specifically talking to my aunt. Um, I was hired with the city as an intern originally. And when I was offered a full-time job for the city to do more what I'm doing now or to officially do what I'm doing now compared to a different job offer that I had with a more traditional engineering consulting firm. Um, I was running through all the pros and cons with my aunt and she told me that in talking about the pieces of the job with the city where I'd be working with people and explaining projects and doing more emergency management work and more less just engineer design on the computer and more out in the world and explaining things. She said that it sounded like I really lit up when I was talking about that. And I think that that's part of what I've tried to carry through and think back and give advice to younger people is that any job that you have too, you can figure out what little parts of it give you joy and light you up and try to use that to guide how you move forward. Some of it will be this part I hated and that's useful information too. Um, so no matter what situation you're in, trying to kind of dissect that and figure out which parts of the work you enjoy and which parts you don't can help guide you even from a pretty non-traditional path to wherever you want to go in the future. Oh, thank you, Jojo. And thank you for being so candid about different parts of your journey. And um, hopefully it will help somebody trying to navigate um, what they should do. <laughs> so many ways, so many journeys, so many different paths um, but thank you for sharing. Yeah, of course. And of course, we love having you on our team. And we love having you on Everyday Engineering. Thank you so much. And we will continue to feature more coworkers in more episodes on Everyday Engineering. We will try to continue to answer that question. How did they get that job? Whether it takes us around the world or, or keeps us right here in Wisconsin. Either way, it's simple. Just check out their life blueprint so far because it can change that is it for us. Thanks for listening. We're always here for you every day in engineering. <laughs>